0: To uh, start um, by reading from the Book of Matthew, chapter five, starting with uh, verse thirty-eight. You've heard it. You've heard that it hath been said, "An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth." But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But what whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you... What reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which which is in heaven is perfect. Those are hard words to understand, let alone to put into practice. Um, I'd like to give you some of my thoughts on them. Uh, those words were said by Jesus, so you know that they're correct. Uh, I hope that what I have to say is correct and is is helpful to somebody. Um, but I'll let you know some of what I've been thinking. And I I think that these words, as difficult as they are, tie in with some of the things. The subjects that I've talked about before uh, here, uh, I've talked about grace and faith, uh, good works, and good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. And there's a theme to all of these subjects. All of those things are in God's control and not ours. Um, And I think that this, this love that Jesus is talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount is uh, also within God's control and not ours. And to begin with, I want to talk about, so if if we look back at Matthew uh, verse 43 and 44, Jesus talks about love. You've heard, it, heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. And the word love there, uh, the word that's been translated as love, is the Greek word agape. Um, and in English, we only have one word for love. Uh, but in Greek, there are several. There's agape. Uh, but there's also there's eros, which is sensual or passionate love. There's philia, which is friendship. It's the opposite of phobia or fear. Uh, There's also storge, which is familial love, natural or instinctive uh, love or affection. Agape is something different from that. And if you actually go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul uh, defines it for us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the word is translated as charity, but there it's also the same Greek word, agape. And Paul describes it this way. This is chapter 13, verse 4. Charity, agape, Suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not besave, behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things. Hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And so that is the love that Jesus tells us to have for our enemies. Um, Martin Luther King, who uh, we just had Martin Luther King Day this past week, he defined agape as, as well. said it's something more than eros, more than philia. Agape is something of the understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men. It's a love that seeks nothing in return. It is an overflowing love. It's what theologians would call the love of God working in the lives of men. And when you take that idea of love and you read what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount with that in mind, it becomes even more difficult to understand or put into practice. So love your enemies. You have to be long-suffering with your enemies. Kind with your enemies, not envying your enemies, not behaving yourself unseemly towards your enemies, not seeking your own benefit with your enemies, not being easily provoked by your enemies, not thinking about the evil of your enemies. Paul says that charity thinketh no evil. Not that charity doesn't do evil, but charity doesn't think evil. We don't, that the love that Jesus is talking about rejoiceth not in the iniquity of our enemies. It never faileth with our enemies. And this is, a, that is a difficult command. Because if somebody is my enemy, then I've already decided that they're bad. I mean, if they're my enemy, then they're not good. I, I think, I'd like to think that, that I like good, that I... Uh, want to be around good people, and the good people are my friends, not my enemies. Um, So it's very difficult to understand how we could love our enemies. It seems to go against human nature. It seems to go against the entire idea of an enemy. And I think it's, it's actually, it's impossible. I don't think it's possible for a human, to love their enemy. I don't think that that is within our will, the capability of our will to do. I don't think that is in our control. Uh, and I think that that's also supported by what we can read in the Bible. Uh, if you go to First uh, John chapter 7 sorry, first. John First John (laughs) Well, in yes, First John, chapter four, verse seven. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And so our love, the love that we should have for our neighbor, the love that we should have for our enemy, is of God. It's not something that we can control. It's not something that we can do I think it's something that we could interfere with. I think that we can uh, prevent ourselves from loving our neighbor. I think we can prevent ourselves from loving our enemy. I think that that love is, is a gift from God. And the only thing that we can do is stand in the way of it. And I think that it's the easiest thing in the world to stand in the way of that. I think it's a very basic human instinct. I think that that's why we classify people as our enemy. Because we want to stand in the way of that. We want to divide ourselves. We want to decide who's good and who's evil. We want to set ourselves apart from each other. And I think that that is a very basic human instinct, and I think that that is what Jesus is telling us not to do. I think that the desire to uh, to know who's good and who's evil, to control what's good and what's evil, is in contrast to what Jesus is telling us, is the way. Is his way. Um, I think that we want to know what's good and what's evil and decide what's good and what's evil and control what's good and what's evil because that makes us like God. And we know that that is uh, human, that is. Part of the essence of humanity. That's one of the first things we learn about human beings in the book of Genesis. Is that we want to know good and evil. And it seems, even with all that we know and all that we've learned, that knowing good and evil, that's a good thing. Seems like that's a good thing. Um, But it is also, I think, if we look at the book of Genesis... Uh, The source of sin is the source of our division from God. It was the knowledge, the desire for the knowledge of good and evil that separated us from God, that led us to uh, leave the Garden of Eden. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, it tells us all about that. Chapter 3, verse 22. The Lord God said, Behold, the man. This is after, of course, uh, the serpent had told Eve that uh, eating from the tree of knowledge would open her eyes, that she would know good and evil. Again, seems like a good thing to be able to understand the difference between good and evil. But this is what happened. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So it's the source of sin. This desire to control, to divide, to decide what's good and what's evil. And it's ironic that that's the source of sin because sin is the separation from God. And so our desire to be like God is what departs us from God. Our desire to control, to take over God's role is what sets us apart from God. It's not what makes us more like God or more with God. And it's also ironic because of all of the things that have been done in the name of good that have had tragic results. Um, One of the glaring examples is what happened to Jesus. Jesus was slain because he Uh, did good works on the Sabbath. The priests thought that was evil and blasphemy. And these were righteous men. They knew what was good. They knew what was evil. They they could decide. And I, I think that they probably thought they were doing the right thing. And you can read about that in John chapter 5 verse 16. But that's That's why Jesus was slain was because he did good works on the Sabbath. And working on the Sabbath was a bad thing. But you don't have to just look at the Bible. You can look at the news. You can see all of the uh, ways that we're drawn to decide who's good and who's evil. So that we can divide ourselves from each other. We can identify who's bad and who's good. Uh, And we can align ourselves with who's good and uh, condemn who's bad. And that gives us a sense of control. I think that oftentimes we're wrong about that. Um, I certainly don't think that it's our role to do that. I don't think that we can stop doing it. I think that's, again, our human nature. And I don't think that there's, there's a way to prevent ourselves, our humanity from doing that, but I think it's something that we should resist. Uh, I think it is something that uh, we should resist that. We should allow the love of God to shine through. We should give over ourselves, give over our human desire to identify good and evil, to divide ourselves, um, give that over to the love of God, who shines, who sends his reign and his sun on the good and the evil. Um, and, and I guess one question is why? Why should I do, why, why don't I want to uh, identify who's good and evil. Why should I resist that human temptation to uh, divide people? Uh, and I think that the the reason to do that is because I want God to do the same for me, and He will if we do. And we can read about that in the Book of Luke, which has similar um, which relates. Jesus' words in a a similar way. And if we go to Luke chapter 6, verse 35 to 38. Actually going a little bit earlier. It's the same, same idea. Verse 27. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. And here's why. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners, and to to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And so there is a benefit for us in loving our enemies because that's what we would hope to get from God because uh, I think in our humanity... We often act as the enemies of God, but we certainly want His mercy. Um, and that's, that's a good thought. It is also, seems impractical. It doesn't really make a whole lot of practical sense to love your enemies. If they're wishing you ill, if they're actively working against you, they're your enemies, they're trying to hurt you, how can you just turn the other cheek? Um, and when I was a child, I think the first time I heard about this, this idea of turning the other cheek, of loving your enemies, I think I was six or seven, um, and in my neighborhood was this boy Scotty, and sometimes we were best friends, sometimes we were the worst enemies, we would fight all the time, uh, and then we'd make up and we'd be friends and then we'd fight again. And one day I think I had uh, come back from church and uh, Scotty was there and, you know, we got into conflict and, uh, and he hit me. He hit me in the face. And I said, well, I'm going to turn the other cheek because that's what Jesus said. And that was a very self-righteous thing for me to do. Um, and uh, I presented my other cheek to him. And I'm sure you all can guess what happened next, <laughs> is that he hit me again. Um, and at that point, I was done with, uh, with turning the other cheek. I didn't have any other cheeks to turn. And, uh, and I didn't forgive him seven times or 70 times, seven times. I didn't forgive him anymore. Um, and and I, it's, it's true that it's impractical. It's impossible to do. Um, It's something that I think can only be achieved if you allow God to do it. Uh, And it's not going to be comfortable. Somebody might hit you in the face or do something more to you. I mean, look at what happened to Jesus Christ or Stephen. Um, And it's... the the case of, of Stephen who got stoned by people including the man who became the apostle Paul uh, I think that that is a that would be a difficult thing to do to love people who are throwing stones at you and killing you um, but you know there was something redeemed in Paul. Uh, and I think that there is something to be redeemed in the people that we see as our enemies. And if if in the end you do present your cheek and somebody hits it, um, well, that ends up being a good thing for you, because as we know from book of Matthew, chapter 10, uh, it is being persecuted for following the way of Jesus Christ that is a benefit to you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And so it's really by um, doing that impossible thing of turning the other cheek and loving your enemy—that is actively trying to destroy you, or actively destroying you—that you that, um, we can find your life. So thank you very much for your time.
1: So, Brother Ben has told us some difficult things to do, and appreciate. His message this morning. Sometimes I ask Brother Ben what he's been thinking about or what he's going to speak on. I did not do that this morning. Interestingly, the topic that I had was 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so I'm going to still dig into that just a little bit deeper, but Brother Ben has told us how it works. Uh, He's told us, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. He's told us how it actually comes together and puts it in place. I want to start out just briefly. Paul starts out writing to the folks at Corinth, and this is interesting. It would be really good for us all to keep this in mind. Paul is going to write some things to the church at Corinth that are really tough to hear. He is going to address their uh, being uh, in discord, having schisms within the church. He's going to address issues within the church to the point of Uh, attempting to correct and make better the church. He addresses false doctrine, but this is how he starts out. He doesn't start out in telling them all the things that are wrong with them. This is how he starts out, just like he does all letters. He says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, he says, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified, He actually begins to classify to them. You know, when we have an issue, we start telling folks all the things that are wrong. The Apostle Paul says, I'm writing this to you folks that are sanctified by Jesus Christ. He said, who are called to be saints with all of them in every place, who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. And then Paul says, Grace be unto you and peace from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, and you, you almost wouldn't expect that he would address a whole host of issues within a church, because then he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, I thank my God always upon your behalf and for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all knowledge, in all utterance, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He begins to address them, and in, the, uh, in addressing them in the beginning, he tells them how thankful that he is for them. He tells them what they have in Christ, and then he comes along and he addresses the areas that, that he needs to address, areas of concern. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a, uh, a chapter that oftentimes is read many times at weddings. You've probably heard it uh, emphasized at weddings. And although it is really, really good for young married couples, it's good for husbands and wives, it's good for folks that, have, like Brother and Sister Farrington that have been married 68 years. It's great for those that are engaged in marriage, but it's good for all of us as well. Let's look at it right here he begins to tell us what the better parts are, what the most important parts are. I, I live by a journal. I, I have to, when you get as old as I am and you begin to have memory issues, I write everything down. And I try to write it down by a list of prioritizing. I try to write the most important things down first because sometimes I don't get to the end of the list. And I want to make sure that I've addressed the most important things on that list. And so with having a little bit of OCD, it helps me sort of stay focused to be able to look at that, check off, mark off, highlight things that are more important, put stars beside them, things that I don't want to forget. And if you looked at my journal, probably it wouldn't mean anything to anybody but me, but I know what those cues are, and that's what I follow every day. Paul is saying right here, here's some real important stuff. But he says, I'm going to tell you what the most important thing is. I'm going to tell you where you should really focus your effort. Brother Ben sort of gave it away and he gives the rest of the story here. The last verse in this chapter, I'm going to break it down and look at it verse by verse, if the Lord would bless us. The first is talking about gifts that you might have. Individual spiritual gifts. Now, gifts are a blessing from God. They're a gift from God. And God gives us each individual gifts. Your gifts are completely maybe very different from the person that's sitting next to you. You don't have maybe exactly the same gifts that they have. But each one of us are unique in the gifts that God gives us. If you are a child of God, if you've been quickened by the Spirit of God, you have at least one spiritual gift, and it may be that you have a host of spiritual gifts. And so if you are a child of God and you have spiritual gifts, God gives you spiritual gifts for the purpose of using those gifts. I've heard the old saying, if you don't use it, you may lose it. Well, that's very true. If you don't use the gifts that God's given you, He might give them to somebody else. He might give them to somebody else that's going to use those gifts. So you take the gifts that God's given you and you use it to the fullest. And we have the example in the scriptures that if you use the gifts that God's given you, he may just give you more to use. Now, the purpose of using these gifts is to help other people. God doesn't need your gift. He's got it all figured out, and God doesn't need anything. But you need your gift, and those that are around you need the gifts that God's given you, and you can bless and benefit other people by using the gifts that you have by helping other people. So he starts out, and he's talking about some spiritual gifts that are right here. He says they're important. They're a blessing. And then he comes down, and Some of the commentators refer to it as graces, not necessarily gifts. The graces that he gives of faith and of hope and of charity. Some things, once again, as Brother Ben laid out, that God gives us right here. So he starts out and Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... At the time this was written, it was said that there were about 75 different languages, and there were some men that actually knew how to speak in a variety of languages. I have some friends that are able to speak uh, two or three or four different languages, and I'm impressed. I just barely can handle English and, and a few words in Spanish only because I grew up close to Mexico and 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 just just a very few words, but I I, I can't, uh, I, I haven't mastered that, but I admire folks that have mastered it. But he says that though you might be able to speak with the tongues of men, you might be able to interpret or speak in a variety of languages or many languages or all languages. He says there's something that's even more important than that. That may be a blessing. That may be a gift that you have. But he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Now, what he's doing in chapter 13 is he's putting it all in perspective. He's not saying that it's wrong to be able to speak in a variety of languages. And it's not wrong to have all knowledge and all utterance. He's not saying that it's wrong. But he says... In having that, you need to realize that it's God that blesses you to have it. That it's God that blesses you to use it. But there's something that's even more important than that. And so that's what he's saying here. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not Charity, that's love, that's compassion, that's long suffering. It's all the things that Brother Ben uh, talked to us about right here. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men, and he says, I might even have the ability to communicate like angels do. Now, it's said that sometimes angels do not use an audible voice, but it's just known by their uh, that, that there's a, a, an ability that they have to communicate one with another. I'll put it like this. Elder Dwayne Schaefer from uh, Texas used to come up here and visit. Elder Dwayne Schaefer said, my grandparents have been married so long. They were married about 70 plus years. He said, my grandparents have been married so long. He says, one of them can have the headache and the other one can take the aspirin and then they both get better. Amen. Says they don't even have to communicate about it. They just they've just been together so long that they just know how it works. They don't even have to use the audible voice. And that's what he's saying right here that you may have angels and you might be able to communicate the way angels communicate. But he says, if you have not charity in the midst of all this. Now, first of all, I'll tell you, And Brother Ben highlighted this right here and ably very, very well, that you're not going to have this love unless God has first quickened you with his spirit and put this love in your heart. So first of all, you're not going to have it at all if God has not quickened you with his spirit. But sometimes for those of us that we believe that God has touched us and quickened us with his spirit, sometimes that love gets a little bit cold along the way. And that's what the purpose of this chapter is, is to revive our thinking about the love that God has given us right here. And so what he's saying right here is you may be able to speak a whole lot of languages. You might even be able to communicate like the angels communicate. But he says, if you don't have love in the midst of it, he says, this is how it comes out. Sounds like a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You know what a tinkling cymbal is. You pound them together. Sometimes it might be a little bit pleasant for a short time, but it doesn't last long. It's very empty and there's nothing to it. That's what he's saying about your ability to speak in all these languages. Look what he says. Now, this one would be good. And though I have the gift of prophecy. Wow. And though I understand all mysteries. And though I have all knowledge, I mean, all of that's beneficial. All of it's good in and of itself. He says, and though I have all knowledge, knowledge is good. Understanding the mysteries of God, you may have some insight into God's word. You may think that you've figured it all out. You may think you are a scholar on the doctrine You may think you have the practice down to a T, but he says, he says, though I have all knowledge, though I understand the mysteries, though I have. And then he says, though I have all faith, you may even have a degree of faith, he says, so that I could remove mountains. He says, though I have all of these things, I have the gift of prophecy. I understand all mysteries. I understand all knowledge. I have all faith. I could even move mountains. He says, but if you don't have charity, he says, you're nothing. Now that's pretty serious because we may spend our time trying to figure it all out. We may spend our time trying to get just right on the doctrine or on the practice. And if we don't have charity, he says, we are nothing. Now that's pretty serious. Then he goes down, gets a little closer to home. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Though I give my body to be burned. And I have not charity. You might give all your goods so that you get your name on the plaque underneath one of the stained glass windows. I, I remember when we, when we, uh when we added on to Mount Carmel back in the 90s and we added this addition on and we had a had a dedication service uh for uh for the building and we were having the dedication service in the afternoon and several people in the morning came up during lunch and they began to make suggestions On who we might could dedicate the building to. Some said, How about Preacher Thompson? He was here 50 years. Some said, Some others that they thought would be good to dedicate the building to. I said, You know what? I've got a solution. And it's over in Solomon. How about we dedicate it to the Lord? It's the Lord's house. It's not Preacher Thompson's. It's not Preacher Bloyd's. It's not Elder Tillman's. It's the Lord's house. You might dedicate all your funds to feed the poor. You might get your name on a plaque or on a marble statue out front somewhere. But if it's not motivated... First of all, by the love of Jesus Christ and love to Christ and love to your brothers and sisters like Brother Ben was highlighting right here. If that's not the motivation for it, this is what he says. He says, it profiteth me nothing. You give it all away. And if it's not motivated by the love of Christ and the love of your brothers and sisters in the Lord, he says, it profiteth me nothing. That means it's of no benefit. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Now it begins to describe it. Brother Ben highlighted this here. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. You say, well, how is it that this actually works? How does it happen? Give you a couple examples. A couple of real-time examples that you'll recognize. I don't know if Susan's listening right now. Maybe, maybe not. Years ago, Mark and Chrissy recognized that Susan had a need. The lady that she'd been caring for, Sister Polly Edwards, passed away. Susan cared for her until she's up in her 90s. Susan needed a place to live. Mark and Chrissy went over to Susan, opened their home up to her. Didn't matter if it was going to be for two weeks, two years, however long it was. They opened their home up to her, made a home for her. Susan had the ability to hold Grace and Luke and all these children, be a part of their family. That's putting this in action. I asked Sister Lee this morning, I said, do you, do you ever hear from Agile, Agile Fender? That's the daughter of Sister Barbara Dixon. Here's another way it works. Brother Jim and Sister Barbara way up in their 90s, they needed rides to the doctor's office. They needed food. They needed their house cleaned. Sister Lee and Brother Tom, they'd go over there and they'd take them to doctor's appointments. They'd go clean the house. They'd take food to them. That's love in action. Mm -hmm. I said, do you ever hear from uh, their daughter, Mm Ajie? She said, oh, yeah. I go visit her. I'm sure she takes food to her. Sister Lee's now doing two different generations. I don't know if you know Adgie, some of you, Sister Adjeline Pender, that's Sister Barbara's daughter. Some of you may remember Sister Barbara. Little, little short sister. Her daughter looks just like her. Uh, such a blessing. Now Sister Lee's doing two different generations of it. That's love in action. Adjalee may not even understand or believe what we believe but she sure understands the love that you give her when you express love to him. That's what he's talking about right here. He says, charity suffereth long. How long? Brother Ben took us to the very extent of how long. Charity suffereth long. Charity is kind. Charity envieth not. You're not worried about what somebody else has. Uh, brother Brother Sonny Piles kind of put it in perspective. Remember, many of you remember Brother Sonny Piles. He said he went on a preaching trip and said he stayed in a deacon's home and said uh, after church that evening, said the deacon said, Brother Sonny, did you see what Brother So and So was driving? He said, no. He said he's driving a brand new town car, Lincoln town car. Brother Sonny, what do you think about that? Brother Sonny said, I don't think about it. And I just wonder what you're doing thinking about it. (laughs) Well, that's what he's talking about right here. Charity envieth not. If brother so-and-so's driving a brand new Lincoln Town car, so what? God bless him. Or a Tesla. Or whatever. Charity suffereth long in his kind, it envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. What does that mean? It's not puffed up. Charity's not promoting itself. Luke, your grandmother, taught us a good lesson. Sister Laura would say... Self-praise stinks. That's just kind of her way of putting it. Well, that's what he's saying right here is that charity charity isn't going to promote itself. It says, charity vaunteth not itself. Charity is not puffed up. Charity is going to promote your brother or your sister, not yourself. It doth not behave itself unseemingly. Charity seeketh not her own. And then wow, here's another one brother Ben that's hard. Charity is not easily provoked. Wow, anybody here easily provoked? Somebody get on your the wrong side, just super easily provoked. He says charity's not easily provoked. He says Charity thinketh no evil. Brother Ben brought that out to us clearly. Charity does not rejoice in iniquity. Saying, well, I'm glad that they're getting what's coming to them. That's exactly what they deserve. He says, charity doesn't thinketh evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. But... Charity rejoiceth in truth. Charity beareth all things. Like Brother Ben says, how can we do all this? You can only do it through Christ. As you're reading this, you can run over to Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's the only way you can do it. You can't do it in and of yourself. you got to get outside of self. You've got to put self aside and say, I can do it through Christ. That's the the only way that Brother Ben could turn the other cheek, was that Christ had put that in his heart and given him the strength to do that. He says, it beareth all things, believeth all things, it hopeth all things, it endureth all things. Now, I like this. Charity never faileth. He says, where there be prophecies... They'll fail. You don't have you don't always have the entire picture. You don't always have the full understanding. You don't always know it all. You don't always understand it all you, because we're sinful creatures. We miss the mark. And he says charity. He says there may be it, it doesn't fail. But he says where there be prophe- prophecies, they shall fail. Where there shall be tongues, they shall cease Whether there shall be knowledge, it shall vanish away. He says those things are temporary at best. And you're not going to have the full picture of any of them. But he says charity, the one thing that never fails is charity. It always works all the time. And then look what he says. We'll just end up in this, wrap this up. It's real, real good. For we know in part, you may think you have it figured out 100%. But you're wrong. Even no matter what degree of knowledge you have, you still know it in part. You may feel like you're an expert in a certain area, but Paul says we know it in part. And Paul's talking about himself and he's talking about us. And you'd think if there was anybody that knew it fully, it'd be the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, for we know it in part. For We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. That's when we get to heaven. We're going to know it fully when we get to heaven. Know it a little bit here. We like what little bit we know here. It's a blessing, but we only know a part here. In heaven, we'll know it fully. And he says, and then here's how he describes it. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And then he describes it this way. For now we see through a glass darkly. What does that mean? It means we don't see the full picture, the clear picture. Little bit blurry, a little bit dim. We like what little bit we see. We'd like to see more, and we long to see more. But we don't get the full picture right here. But he gives us a little insight into it. He says, for now we see through a glass darkly. But then, what is he talking about? He's talking about when he takes us on home to glory. Then we're going to see it. You're You're going to see it. You're going to understand it. You're going to hear it. And you're not going to be hindered by this old sinful nature that we deal with right here. I don't know about you, but I can have two or three thoughts at the same time. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not good. Sometimes I have a a thought about the Lord and sometimes uh, immediately a thought about the world kicks in or something else or Satan's right there. Did you know when we get to heaven, we're not going to be hindered by that? And that's what he's saying right here. He says, right now, we see through a glass, darkly. You see a little bit? You see some glimmers? You see some things that encourage you? You have some degree of light, some degree of understanding? But he says, then, we're going to see face to face. He says, now I know in part... But then shall I know even also as I am known. We're going to understand it fully someday. And we're not going to be hindered with self or sin or Satan or anything else that hinders us along the way. And then I like what he says right here. I hope we can emphasize a point. But now, right now, here and now, in this life, You're blessed with three graces that he mentions right here. All from God. It's a gift from God. You're blessed, he mentions, with faith. God's blessed you with faith. If he has given you the spirit of God, if he's quickened you with his spirit, you have a measure of faith. Your faith may become weak sometimes. Your faith may become cold sometimes. There are other times your faith may be super strong When you're leaning on the Lord, looking to the Lord, he's giving you faith right now. But when you get to heaven, you're not going to need that faith. That faith, there's a purpose of you having faith right here. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's a reason for you to have the faith that you have right now. And it's to help you get along in this life and to serve God and to lean on him and to depend on him and not to be overwhelmed and overcome with this world. The reason that you don't pitch in the towel is because God has given you a measure of faith. And when all when everything falls apart, you still have faith. In the Lord, not faith in yourself, not faith in others, not faith in this earth, not faith in this government. But you have faith in God. Have faith in God. You've been blessed with faith, but someday you're not going to need it. The second thing you have. He's blessed you with hope. Those dear old loved ones that have gone on before your parents, your grandparents, your family, your children. You're going to see him again and you have hope for that because God's put that hope in your heart. But did you know that when you get to heaven, you're not going to need hope anymore because it's a reality. It's not something we're longing for and looking for and desiring. It's going to be reality for us. And that's what Paul is telling us. But then he mentions charity in the same respect. He says, now abideth faith, hope, and charity. And then he says something else. wonder why he says this. He said, out of all three of these things, there's one that's above the other. It's a priority. You put it on the top of the list. Faith, hope, and charity. And he says, the greatest of these is charity. Why is that? Here's one reason. Your faith is here for a season. And then when it's fulfilled its purpose, it's gone. It's fulfilled its purpose. You don't need it in heaven. Your hope is here right now. You need it. It sustains you, it encourages you here in this life. Now abideth. When you get to heaven, you're not going to need it. But charity, it doesn't end. When you get to heaven, it's just begun. You think you understand and experience charity here and love here? When you get to heaven, you're not going to have any problem loving your enemy, like Brother Ben said, because you're not going to be struggling with this old sinful nature. Charity is going to continue on. And he says out of all of these things, out of faith, out of hope, out of prophecy, out of knowledge, out of understanding, out of all of these gifts and abilities that God gives you. And use them and treasure them and thank God for them. But don't forget to exercise the love that God's put in your heart. You say, how do I do it? How do I do it? Well, first of all, you can't do it aside from God. He has to bless you with that. But Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'll tell you how you can do it. I'll tell you how you can exercise that charity that God has given you in your heart. You do just exactly like Mark and Chrissy did. Do you know Mark and Chrissy are going to Florida now? They're probably soaking up the sun right now after church. That's wonderful. But do you know who's taking care of Susan now? Grace and Jared. Ellen. Different ones. They saw what their parents did. You know who's taking care of Sister Barbara's daughter? Sister Lee. You start praying for opportunities to go use the gifts that God's given you and to minister to other people, and you'll be amazed how God will open those doors for you to minister to other people. And I'll tell you, just a side note of that, if you ever deal with despair and depression and discouragement, did you know that'll pull you out of it quicker than anything else if you take the gifts that God's given you? You're not going to have time to be depressed. Because God's going to open so many doors for you to go and use the gifts that he's given you to minister to other people that you won't have time to think about yourself. You'll be thinking about other folks. And that's how you exercise that charity that God has given you. I tell you, we've got a great example that Sister Tracy's always looking for a way to minister. That's a great example for all of us. We ought to all be doing that. Get outside of self and start looking for other folks. I brother 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 uh, David Kilby told me of several of you that prepared meals and drove it up to their house and and left them on the porch for the Kilby family. That's what he's talking about right there. That is charity in action. And that's above everything else. It is. He said that is the best part of all. God bless you.